Let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and we thank you for this opportunity that we have to study uh, what it really means to pray, Lord, that you so graciously condescend to our weakness and our frailty that you give us a prayer that we can say to you that pleases you and that you delight in teaching us about what it means to call you our Father and constantly be able to bring to you our requests and petitions. So we pray, Lord, that we would learn what it means to be a Christian from praying the Lord's Prayer and that we would learn what it means to be caught up in this great story of redemption with this prayer that you've given us and how you teach us to commune with you uh, because of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. So this week we'll begin the first week of our fourth quarter on the Lord's Prayer, and we're, we've been going through the four D's, the drama of redemption, the doctrines of redemption. Last week, or last month, we finished up the discipleship of the redeemed, going through the Ten Commandments, and now we'll begin talking through the Lord's Prayer. So, this is very much as a part of our theme of understanding what it means to be a disciple, and as we look through the Bible, we often see the disciples that were living in the time of Jesus asking him all these kind of bizarre questions. They would say, they would ask him and request of him to show us the Father, or they would say, save me, or Lord, where are you going? And on one occasion, they even asked him, who among us is the greatest? And what we see throughout the Gospels is that Jesus didn't always answer their questions. He oftentimes didn't even respond in a way that made sense to them because oftentimes our questions as disciples are wrong. Our questions are often showing how ignorant we are and how our culture has taught us to think about religion and spirituality. And those things, those questions that we ask are often wrong. But on one occasion, they asked him to teach them to pray. And Jesus actually responds. And he shows them that they actually are asking the right question for for one of the first times. Um, And I think that's instructive because as Christians, we are, the Christian life is really learning to ask the right questions. It's... Because of the nature of the Christian faith, all of us, no matter how long we've been around Jesus, are always learning anew how to ask the right questions. No one, none of us, ever becomes so faithful or so bold in our discipleship that we become experts. No one ever arrives because, not only because we're finite, but because we're still sinful in this world. So no one arrives at glory in this walk. So everyone is constantly relearning what it means to be a disciple and a Christian, which is why the Lord's Prayer is such a helpful, important thing. That if you remember from last quarter, we talked about discipleship constantly being these three things. We constantly said that it's learning to receive, learning to testify, and then learning to participate in what God is doing. And 
the Lord's Prayer is actually how we enact those things in our lives as well. Not just in the Ten Commandments, but we constantly are learning to receive from God from His good hand, asking the right questions, how, to, how we testify to what He's done, what He's doing in this world, and then, then we learn how to participate in what God is doing. And in many ways, the Lord's Prayer is teaching us what that is. And that's why we, we constantly have to remind ourselves that uh, Christianity isn't primarily a set of doctrines. It isn't primarily a volunteer organization or a list of appropriate behaviors. Um, Christianity is namely a journey of a people. It's being pilgrims through this present evil age. That, that Christianity is a cosmic reordering of all things, uniting all things in Jesus things in heaven and things on earth. And we see that as we read the Gospels, that, that it's, it's primarily this, this journey that Jesus is taking us on. Uh, Jesus is constantly on the move in the Gospels, that he went among the villages teaching, and then he called the twelve, and he began to send them out two by two, giving them authority, and then he orders them to take nothing for their, for their journey except this, not a staff. He even tells them, don't bring a bread, don't bring a bag or any money. Because this journey is an adventure. It's a great part of what it means to be on this trip with Jesus, pilgriming on to our heavenly destination, um, where we're learning how to trust in him. It's a trip towards him, trusting in him over those securities and crutches that the world has taught us to hold on to and to trust, whether it's bread, bags, or money. All those things that clutter us, that cause us to ask those wrong questions, the Lord's Prayer is constantly taking our eyes off of and learning to trust in, in Jesus. So this journey is an adventure in a great part because it is a trip, um, and the Lord's Prayer is a sign to the world and to us that God hasn't abandoned us to our own devices, but that he's, he's present in his people who are on the move. People who are moving away from their old ways and old means of life. Um, and showing that these ordinary people like us have been given extraordinary authority We've been given the kingdom of God. And this prayer is part of how we are assaulting the realm of evil in this world. This prayer is how we are participating. So we, we, we receive God's kingdom. We're proclaiming it through praying this Lord's Prayer. But then we're participating in God's divine assault on this present evil age. Right after Jesus tells the disciples and sends them out and gives them authority in Mark 6, we all, we all of a sudden see that they all start casting out demons and anointing with oil many who are sick, and he cures them. And Jesus is saying that this journey is dangerous. Um, Martin Luther said that whenever the work of Christ is occurring on earth, the demons move into action. And... That's exactly what we see in this passage that Mark 
speaks to Jesus commissioning his disciples to go out and have authority over demons, have authority over this present evil age. Mark immediately, after even saying that, talking about demons, he says, And King Herod heard of what Jesus was doing. That's not, for any, that's not just an accident. Uh, by mentioning this politician's name, uh, King Herod, Mark reminds us that when Jesus comes onto the scene, everyone is disturbed. When we start praying this prayer and really seeing what it's doing, this whole present evil age, the principalities and powers of this age, freak out because we're showing them that we don't need their power. We're showing them that we don't need them to survive in this world as disciples of Jesus. Um, even if it means going to the cross. The devil doesn't like it when we're letting go of this world's securities and moving on with Jesus. Whenever we start praying in this way and start enacting what it means to be a part of God's kingdom, the devil will always be seeking to crowd out prayer out of your lives. The devil will always be seeking to move it out by distraction, whether it's social media or Facebook or just the busyness of life or fear or apathy. The devil does not want us to be part of what Jesus is doing in this world. Uh, so because this, this journey is dangerous and we are learning about what it means to be Christians and how to pray as Christians, um, we have to constantly be reminded of what it means to pray in this exact way. Um, Christianity is something so radical and such a, a radically different thing in this world. We constantly have to be reminded um, that Christianity is not just a set of interesting ideas or beliefs. It's not a minimal selection of beliefs that we have that just like get tacked onto our life that give us meaning and purpose or fulfilling some expectations that we had beforehand, before we met Jesus. Um, rather, to be a Christian is being drafted in part of this great adventure, this supernatural drama of redemption, this journey that is towards God's kingdom. And being part of this adventure actually frees us from the terrors that would enslave our lives had they not been a part of this journey. Um, so we're learning to pray in this way, being taught to pray something like as simple as a prayer, we're learning to ask the right questions. We're learning to actually change what it means to, to have meaning or happiness or, or purpose in this life. Jesus, when he gives his prayer, he's not coming at it as a, as a philosopher who's just laying out this new system of disembodied belief that really has no bearings on our day-to-day -day life. I uh, know Jesus was a teacher who, who taught what he preached. We love and follow Jesus not simply because of what he said, but because of the way he lived and he died and was raised. Um, Jesus did not come along and just say, just agree with me about these propositions about the world. 
No, he said, follow me. He takes us on a journey that, that is not just towards Jerusalem and towards his crucifixion, but is toward the truth. Um, and we would never have entered into this kingdom without him saying, follow me. The Christian faith is not just a set of beliefs, but is rather, in many ways, a prayer that we must learn to pray. You know, along the way, we often discuss the doctrines, but Christian doctrines are meant to help us to pray. They're never ends in themselves. They're always constantly pushing us further into communion with the triune God. And we pray this prayer as a mark of this journey that we have towards God himself. Um, They name the dangers that you will face, and they provide us the necessary skills for negotiating the dangers of this journey. Because Christianity primarily means conflict in this present evil age. Um, Because we must never forget that the one who taught us to pray these things was himself crucified. And if we're going to follow him, it means that same kind of conflict. So we pray like this. We learn to pray, teach us to pray, because God has intruded into our world in a spectacular way. Um, We don't, in many ways, pray this prayer because... In, in, any, in some ways, we want to please God. We don't do it in some way in, in order to gain interest into that kingdom. Rather, we have been swept away into it, and that's now the new form of life that we have. Um, it's a dangerous thing to, and a peculiar thing that God has called us to, that is going to make us look odd in this world if we start taking this prayer seriously. God is doing something spectacular and odd in this world, and praying this prayer is inviting that very same thing into our lives. So Jesus, when he says, follow me, he's saying something about the future of our lives. Um, he's challenging us in a really real hard way to bend our lives to following him, which is going to look like a struggle, but it's also going to be something that is so wonderful and beautiful because we're getting caught up in something that we could not have invented or created. Um, And that's why in many ways we have to be taught to pray. Because it doesn't come naturally to us. Uh, Praying in this Christian way is not natural and it doesn't make sense in the way that we think or in the way that we're taught to make sense. Uh, There are all kinds of prayers out there, but the prayer that Jesus is giving us is a peculiar activity that's specifically based on his life, death, and resurrection. We don't decide to become Christians and then find that the Lord's Prayer is just this helpful meaning to express our faith. We don't choose this prayer. 
In some sense, this prayer has chosen us. It reaches out to us and forms us and invites us to be part of this adventure that we call discipleship. And being a Christian is very similar. That that being a Christian is having been initiated into a group of people who are shaped by these peculiar practices. We've been initiated, baptized into God's people, the church, and now we're being shaped by these peculiar practices that have to be taught to us again and again. In many ways, we cannot convince you that Christianity, in some sense, is even true prior to learning how to pray. Now, that may sound really strange, um, but if you come to the Christian faith with some theory about what it would take to be a Christian, for what is it say, say that the Christian faith to be true, that it has to be true to my experience of God, or that it has to be seem reasonable to me, then what we're doing is really worshiping our theory of truth. We're worshiping our experience as God, or reason as divine. And in many ways, like all of those things that, we're, that we, we think about as the basis for why we accept Christianity are all of our polite ways of accepting God on our own terms. But most of the things that we see Jesus saying and doing, where he's saying, follow me, and then we, in, in many ways, it's only through enacting and living the Christian life that we actually understand those truths. We have to, in many ways, start enacting and praying in these ways and living the Christian life for even some of the truths of Christianity to make sense. We don't learn the doctrines and then they lead to right living. In many ways, we learn these prayers and the right doctrine and the right beliefs come to us through those things. Jesus told told those who believed in him, he said, if you continue in my word... You are truly my disciples, and then you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And then he later on says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So note first that Jesus called them to follow him, and he says that they are disciples prior to them even understanding and comprehending the truth. And so as we submit our lives to discipleship, we then learn to be people of the truth. Because truth is not a set of propositions about the world. Rather, truth is a person, Jesus Christ. And we know the truth by coming in contact with this person who has swept us away into his story. Does that make sense? So what what Jesus is saying, what Jesus is doing, is saying we actually are being called out as disciples and made disciples. And in, in, in enacting these things, being taught to pray in this way, we are then given a new script which ends up redefining us and changing our minds and our lives as we are in fellowship with Jesus. Um, and that is, that is what it means to pray. Um, it's allowing, it's submitting our wills to a, a higher authority, even if we don't understand the why. We can, we can leave that up to God in our lives, even if we don't understand the why. Um, which leads to our second point, pray in this way. Um, 
after the disciples start asking the right question, after being with him a while, and he says, they say, teach us to pray, Lord. And he says, pray in this way. We are told in many different places what that prayer kind of looks like. He, it's like this poor man who kept pestering his neighbor at midnight, beating on the door until he got out of bed and gave his neighbor the bread that he needed. Um, we ought to be similarly, similarly persistent in our effort to pray in this way and in the process of obeying Jesus' commands to pray in this way, our lives are bent toward God. Um, not that that is because of our natural inclination, um, but, but because as we pray these things, we are learning to be Christians. Because this submission, this bending of our lives toward God does not come naturally, that's why it's so helpful to memorize this prayer. So if you haven't memorized the Lord's Prayer, I definitely would recommend it. Uh, because it does not come naturally to us, we have to repeat it again and again and again for it to become a habit. And repetition reminds us that this prayer is not our idea. Jesus is literally saying, pray in this way. He's not just saying, pray like the Lord's Prayer. He's saying, literally pray like this. And... Only when we start committing things to memory can we actually commit it to our hearts. We often think it's the other way around. We often think that we have to have a spontaneous prayer life for it to, to affect our hearts. But the Christian heart, the Christian life, is one that is constituted by memory and constantly remembering God's faithfulness. Um, And because the world is always assaulting our accounts of reality, always offering up other prayers to other gods, memorizing this prayer is really essential skill for survival in this present evil age. Even, even this prayer, even though it could be done out of habit and out of, just out of rote, it's actually a good thing that we start memorizing this prayer. Um, and, and, and we usually pray this prayer on Sunday in the church, in the body of Christ, joining our voices with others in repetition in prayer, teaching us and reminding us that we're not going on this journey alone, and it's too tough to go alone. This is a public thing that we're doing. Um, and we're admitting that we would never have known how to pray as a Christian had not the church, in some sense, reached out to us, baptized us, brought us in, and taught us this prayer. I know sometimes it's very easy, even for myself, to reject God's bringing us into this body called the church. Um, but don't feel guilty for often being fed up with the church. It's very easy to do that. Church is not easy. Um, yet, is, it, yet, at the same time, it's our claim that living into your baptism, leaning into it, and learning to pray this in public in the body of Christ, that's the actual thing that will make us really happy, that will make us truly happy. The good life that, that, that is getting us swept up into something that we would never invent is the very thing that we actually need. 
if we're, if we're going to live the life that we invent, it's, we're going to see how hollow and, and empty that is because it's no greater than our own thoughts. Um, but we are actually getting swept up into something that's bigger than ourselves, something that's cosmic, something that spans thousands of years and generations that is a cosmic battle against evil of this world. And learning this prayer is one of the ways that we do that. Uh, we're allowing it to become second nature to us, to become a habit. And we pray out of habit. I don't know about you, but sometimes it can be easy to feel guilty that when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we're just not even thinking about it. We're just going through the motions, just saying the words out of habit. Um, but I think that habit, habit is a good thing. You know, most of the really important things that we do in life are out of habit. Whether it's eating or sleeping or shaking hands with somebody or hugging children out of habit. Some of the things that are too important to life are that are let the, we can't leave up to chance. And we have to do them out of habit. Um, some things in life are too difficult to be left up to being spontaneous. Just bubbling up out of us out of spontaneous desire. Things like telling people that we love them. Or even this, praying to God. So we often do them out of habit, and that's a good thing. Doing it over and over, week after week, telling the same stories and singing the same songs. I love how C.S. Lewis put it, like the problem of constantly reinventing the wheel of spirituality. He talked about the problem of constantly reinventing worship, where we're constantly thinking about new ways to make it spontaneous. And he says at the end of the day, we actually aren't worshiping God. Because we're so caught up thinking about the mechanics of shifting gears while we're driving, learning a new thing again and again, that we can't lose ourselves and forget those things and actually think about God. If we're constantly trying to reinvent the wheel in prayer or in worship and we're singing on Sunday, we're never actually focusing on God. And so it's a good thing that we get caught up in these habits and not thinking about those things in themselves because then it lets us lean into God for the first time when they're done out of, out of habit. And we can then focus on God himself. And that's why, you know, it's sometimes easy for the people to complain that church is boring. Uh, because we do all these things out of habit over and over again, um, well, we shouldn't defend boredom because I think it really gets, takes away the joyful character of the adventure of following Jesus. We want to say that habits are important, particularly in our faith, because it's so against our natural inclinations. This faith is so deeply at odds with what the world teaches us and ingrains in us and all our widely held assumptions. Um, therefore, we have to do things out of habit. Because it's so difficult for us as Christians to pay attention to God in a, in a society that's so filled with distractions. I don't know about you, but how it is, it is extremely difficult to pray in our world of distractions or even to feel that God is there. And that's why just praying this prayer, even when you don't feel like it, is so important. Having this prayer in our vocabulary, in our hearts and our minds, again and again, 
is us slowly bending our lives towards God, having, our, having God's thoughts and desires become ours. So when the disciples asked Jesus about prayer, he did not tell them, it's interesting, he did not tell them to go off and sit quietly until something spiritual came to their minds. He did not ask them, well, how do you feel about God today? Uh, those are the things that we would think. He said, pray like this, our Father. God knows how weak and frail we are. He knows that we are but dust. And he knows how distracted our minds are and how naturally it is so hard to, to concentrate and think about God. And so he gives this prayer as a gift to us because he knows how difficult it is to meet new people. I don't know about you, but, how, but it's, sometimes it's really difficult to know what to say at first to someone who's new. Um, how should we address them? What subject should we talk about and bring up to them? Uh, what do they have in common with us? You know, Jesus, in giving us this prayer, he's not leaving us to our own devices when it comes to our relationship with God. We don't need to flail around trying to think of something to say to God. It's such a gift, especially for those of us who have trouble talking to someone who's not material. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know about you, but it can be hard to feel God. It can be hard to sense him. And Jesus is saying, we don't have to make this up. You can do this out of habit. God knows we're weak and we're made of dust and we're frail. And he's giving us this very gift to do out of habit. And this is what pleases God. We don't have to wonder what kind of prayer is going to please God. This prayer will please him, even if it's just out of habit. Um, so this Lord's Prayer is our strategy for this present evil age of how to pray to God. It's learning to bend our wants towards God wants, God's wants. Praying in Jesus' name, unlike so many modes of prayer that we see in our world, even ones that claim to be Christian, are distinct because it's related to the one who teaches us to pray. This is how we learn to enact God's story in our lives as people who have been called into existence through Jesus. And in that way, that this praying this prayer, we are becoming the people that God has called us to be in Jesus. We are becoming the Christians that God has called us to be. This is the response. God has broken into this world in his drama of redemption and saved us. And in joyful response, in doxology and praise and prayer, God has even given us the script of how we are to respond to what he has done. Now, I think that the notion of being taught to pray as necessary, it sounds really odd. Um, if we think about it, being taught how to pray sounds really bizarre in our society that worships individuality, autonomy, freedom, detachment. Anything that sounds like liturgy or ritual or habit sounds evil. Anything that sounds like it's blocking me in my personal relationship with God sounds like it's going to go against my mojo 
and sounds like it's going to disrupt that spontaneous ecstasy that we think what religion and spirituality should be. Um, anything like tradition that we're held accountable, anything outside of ourself, sounds like it's just going to be a rain on our parade. Um, and because of that, we, we think we can, we can pray by ourselves. We think we can make it this thing that we're doing all, all alone. Um, but that really misunderstands what's going on in the world. You know, someone is always teaching us. Someone's always informing us. We're taught by everything to worship something. We're in this, we're immersed in this world, in this, in this drama, in these competing doctrines that are shaping us and teaching us what to pray. They are shaping us and teaching us what to worship and to rejoice in and to be happy in. And we are taught by a consumer capitalist economy rather than a Christian faith. We're going to be taught by something, whether it's CNN or Fox News or the market or the economy. Those things are all teaching us what to worship, which is why we have to be constantly be re-taught and re-brought back into God's drama and re-enacting and re-worshiping in this way rather than what this world is teaching us. Um, that religion is not something we ought to choose for ourselves in this way. Um, and I think that that is, that is an important thing, is that our society has formed and shaped us and our desires and our habits, and all of those things bleed into us through what we do and what we say and what we watch and what entertains us. And ironically, in our age of autonomy, we didn't even choose those things. We, we, that's the great myth, is that we think we choose what we wear and what we enjoy and what we watch and what we buy. We think we've chosen those things, but it's the world that has taught us to choose those things and want those things. It, it's the myth of autonomy. It's the myth of freedom that has so captured our hearts that makes praying like this so hard. Um, that's the great irony, is that this great idea that we personally choose everything is something that we've not chosen. Um, the supermarket and the shopping mall have been our school. All of those things teach us that all choices are more or less equal. Therefore, anyone should, no one should tell you what you should believe in or choose or, or believe in. All choices are equal. All religions are equal. It just depends on what suits your lifestyle, what makes you happy. Um, that's why it's such a radical thing to pray the Lord's Prayer in our day, where we actually are submitting ourselves to what Jesus is saying about the kingdom of God, what Jesus is saying about what it means to be human, about what Jesus is saying our new script and identity actually is. Um, And I think that, that that is an essential thing that we think about. Um, that it's not when we learn to pray this prayer, in many ways, we are learning to become part of God's kingdom, taken out of all those competing stories and dramas. Not, not because we're better people. Not because we're better than everybody else. Uh, I think it's 
Interesting that in Matthew, the Lord's Prayer occurs in this section in the Gospel where Jesus is specifically attacking the self-righteous who are thinking that prayer is what makes them better than everybody else. He says that when you're praying, do not heave up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that in them they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them because their Father knows what you need before you even ask them. So pray in this way. So by learning the Lord's Prayer, we're not becoming better people in the sense that the world thinks of being better. We're not becoming better as this world thinks it. We're becoming Christians. And that is what it means to become a disciple. That we are learning these ordinary sinful people like us are through this learning to abide more and more in God and depend on him. Our sanctification, our Christian life, isn't making us look outwardly better in the sense that it's making us haughty and proud and and thinking that we're getting on in life. No, it's actually growing in deepness of our utter dependence on God. And that's what this prayer is teaching us, and that's what the prayer is actually causing us to do, is causing us to abide more and more in God himself. So if we're a Christian, we've learned to pray in Jesus' name because this is what God is doing. Remember that this is the Lord's Prayer. You know, we didn't think of it. Salvation, Christian salvation, is not some just individual relationship between God and myself. Rather, this salvation is being drafted into an adventure that our lives are being commandeered by God and that we're going on to this journey in the Christian faith. Um, and so this prayer is teaching us to say our Father as a way of participating and naming what it means to be saved. That God is making us part of his kingdom in which we are saved from the world. And I think that that's all important to think of as we think about prayer because it's really easy to just not understand why it's so important to pray this. We, we can really just get caught up in not understanding what makes this so different, what makes Christianity so different. Um, but it, it's a constant reminder that being saved is not some individual achievement. I think that's like the biggest thing that we need to think of, that it's not some flash of personal insight of our own mental prowess, our own virtue, or thinking that we're just tacking this on to life's meaning and purpose. Um, No, salvation is this delightful surprise of having our little insignificant lives being caught up in the purposes of God himself for the whole world, That that we're saying this prayer, bending our lives towards God, but we're saying this prayer for the world. We are prophet, priests, and kings because we're united to Jesus. And we're saying this prayer in Jesus. And we're saying it for the world that his kingdom would come and it would break down this evil age. And everyone around us would get swept up into this amazing thing that God is doing. And so Jesus is telling us to pray in this way because it's this lifelong act. This lifelong act of bending our lives towards God in the way that God has offered and 
being caught up in what he is doing, participating, what we said, not just receiving, not just testifying what he's done, but participating in what he is doing. Um, It may be curious to talk about this idea of bending our lives towards God. What do I mean by that? Why, Why don't we just talk about believing or believing these different things? Why is it important to bend? Um, is Christianity just about believing doctrines? Well, I want to say no, not because doctrines are unimportant. I know. Shocking. <laughs> I think this is one of the things that like, we really go to the other, other extreme on the pendulum in thinking that Christianity is about doctrines and facts. These objective propositions that are somehow going to then change our lives. That ideas, in some sense, have consequences. Well, that's somewhat true. Doctrines are important. Ideas are important. Doctrines, propositions about the Christian faith, like God is love or God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are derivative of the practices like worship and prayer and how, like Christian understanding of sex and money and life. Doctrines and beliefs are efforts to remind us why it is important to do those things and how we pray and how we live. Um, The Christian church came up with the doctrine of the Trinity because of how they prayed. The Christian church and the early church didn't just think about the doctrine of the Trinity and therefore change their worship practices in church on Sunday. If you actually look at it, they said, well, why do we pray in Jesus' name? Um, It must mean that we're praying because he's God equal to the Father, co-equal with the Holy Spirit. That's why we believe in the doctrine of the Trinity. So it's always and ever from the practices of the Christian life that we then move to our doctrine. So that's why you can have a little old lady really communing with the person of Jesus, not knowing how to define the doctrine of the Trinity, but they're really communing with Jesus. And it's okay. They don't have to be a theologian. They don't have to, because the Christian life is getting caught up with this person, with the three persons who are God, and learning to bend our wills and our lives to him and and live with him. And, and, And as we learn more and more about those things, this is what we said at the beginning, that the doctrine helps lead or the drama that we're caught up in helps lead to the doctrine, which helps lead to doxology and discipleship. And there's just a constant movement where we're just being caught up in all those things. So they're never ending because we're never going to arrive. We're never going to become experts. It's always something that we're constantly having going further up and further in. And... Man. That's, that's how why Christian prayer is something so distinctive. Um, any questions or thoughts before we move on? So Jesus is teaching us to pray in this way because this is what it means to be a disciple. Yes, sir. Question. She's a Jehovah's Witness. Um, what we would say to that is 
the specific way in which they're personally communing with Jesus is kept in the guardrails by the doctrine. Um, but the doctrines themselves are not the person of Jesus. So the doctrines are like maps that are helping us, guide us to the experience of communing with the triune God. Um, and those are the things, are the guardrails that keep us in the knowledge that this is really who you're communing with. So if it's outside of that, then we would say that they are not communing with the living God. Um, if they are not falling into that map and trajectory. So the doctrines are merely the map of all of these people's experience of the living God. They're not God himself. And they're helping us, because this is something that we've received, helping us, guiding us into that prayerful communion and actual experience of God. And that is what the doctrines are, are telling us what is inside and outside the boundaries of that experience. Um, does, that, does that make sense? So it's not just an experience itself that we say, oh, well, then you must be worshiping God or praying to God. It's, it's the whole package deal that we're caught up in the center of. And I was merely saying for our context, it's very easy to... to think that the doctrines are God himself or that knowing the facts are equivalent to knowing Jesus. That's what I'm saying. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and and. And a big part of that is. Yeah, and I, and I think a big part of it is also like, where are we receiving? Um, we can, in some sense, everyone has to depend on something from some other people. Like we have to constantly be, in, we're always receiving something in a tradition and we're always receiving all these things, these good gifts in communion with a, some kind of tradition. And so we can depend and lean on the knowledge and wisdom of the church, um, not having faith in that, but in some sense, the way that we actually know we're communing with God is through his word and his sacraments and through the body of Christ. So we can even be in error with those dot with certain things and truly commune with Jesus um, because we are receiving him as a person in that context. Um, and that is why it says like where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there. And that he's using these means to commune with us. And like we, we don't have any other safeguards besides the, the preaching of the word and the sacraments and discipline in that sense. But all of it is 
is for the focal point of communion with the triune God. If it, if it isn't leading us to those things, then we should not do them. Like That's like the whole purpose of them, is to lead us to this. I don't know if that's helpful. Well, um, any other thoughts or questions? I think before we close up for the day. All right, so I didn't get as far as I, as I wanted to today. We got to the first two points of teach us to pray and pray in this way. Um, <laughs> I think that's just always how it be how it is. Um, but hopefully next week we'll begin the different lines in the Lord's Prayer and the different petitions. Um, but this is this is really this is a part of what it means to be a Christian. Just kind of wrapping up what we've come through so far, uh, because it's us learning to think God's thoughts after Him and follow in His train after Him, and doing this out of habit, out of memory is going to be the way that we actually are freed up to pray to God. Um, like I was saying before, when we're constantly reinventing the wheel and reinventing worship and reinventing prayer, we actually aren't focusing on God. We're focusing on the mechanics of how do we drive. Like when you're first learning how to drive, you're not driving. You're just like, okay, do I move this and this and this and this? And like you're checking all these things. But once it becomes habit, you're actually freed up from focusing on those small things to really driving. In the same way, we pray these things out of habit in this way because then we start learning once it seeps down inside of us and gets part of our habits, we are free to actually then focus on God through those things. Um, And that's why the Lord's Prayer is such an important part of the Christian grammar and the Christian practice. Um, But let's, I guess we'll five minutes left. Let's just close with a word of prayer and we'll be done for the day. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this lesson and, and learning about what it means to pray. We thank you that you have condescended to us in our weakness, in our frailty, and knowing that we are but dust, but that you are a good and faithful shepherd who comes down to us and lifts us up and takes us out of this present evil age and brings us into a greater story And you give us the very words that you delight in. You not only bring us into this Christian life, but you tell us what pleases you and how to pray so that it's not dependent on how we feel from moment to moment, that our feelings come and go, but we know that your pleasure is upon us and your love is there for us and you're giving us the words to say with this Lord's Prayer. So we pray that as we embark on this study for the next several weeks that you would Grow us in our appreciation of of each of these lines and what it means to pray to you as our Father. And in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.